you know what? Our spiritual, our emotional, even our physical health is hugely dependent upon that attitude toward those who hurt us and even sin against us. We spiritually grow up or we spiritually wither up depending on our ability to forgive others. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Before we start the show, I have something to share with you. If you or someone close to you is suffering from a sense of anxiety or loneliness, the truth is anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness affecting 40 million adults in the United States every year alone. And according to a recent study, more than 60% of Americans report feeling lonely, left out, poorly understood, and lacking companionship. This matters a lot because loneliness is stressful enough to raise all cause mortality by up to 30%. So I've written a free guide with 10 ways you can start to overcome anxiety and defeat your loneliness. Don't wait on positive emotions. Learn how to create them for yourself starting right now. You can grab the guide by heading over to drmartinfletcher.com. That's doctor spelled drmartinfletcher.com. Hey, welcome to The Shepherd and the Shrink. Today you get just the shepherd. My name's Matt Hook, and I wanted to share with you one of my favorite personalities in all of history, and his name is Casey Stingle. I want to talk to you today about spiritual IQ, but before that, I want to talk about Casey Stingle because he had one of the highest baseball IQs in the business. He was a successful player, but more so as a manager. Casey landed the job with the New York Yankees. He won 10 pennants in 12 years, including five straight world championships. Then following three dismal seasons with the Mets expansion team, Casey finally called it a career. He spoke in Stengalese, which is what the reporters called him, and they loved to interview him. He made the Mets one of the favorite teams of the early 1960s, right when they had formed, even though they had the worst record in baseball. Listen to some of his wisdom. Casey said stuff like this. The key to being a good manager is keeping the people who hate me away from those who are still undecided. He said this. There comes a time in every man's life, and I've had many of them. Casey said to outfielder Bob Serve, nobody knows this yet, but one of us has just been traded to Kansas City. Casey said this about the Mets. The only thing worse than a Mets game is a Mets doubleheader. He said, they've shown me ways to lose I never knew existed. One time when younger players were asking him if he ever played baseball, he said, sure, I played. Did you think I was born at the age of 70 sitting in a dugout trying to manage guys like you? He said this, if we're going to win the pennant, we've got to start thinking we're not as good as we think we are. I love that. Casey said this, looking up and down the bench, you have to say to yourself, can't anybody here play this game? Casey said this, it's wonderful to meet so many friends that I didn't used to like. One time Casey said, oh man, if Hook could only do what he knows. That's the one I want to focus on. Because it seems that Jay Hook, who was the pitcher who pitched the first Mets win in April of 1962, 
explained to a reporter the aerodynamics of why a curveball curved. Seems he learned that in college, one of the few guys who went to college back in those days. The reporter wrote the article of why a curveball curves. It was a slow news week for baseball that week. And he won the article of the week and 50 bucks for the New York Times. Hook was on the bench talking to reporters after being taken out of the game early. Casey walked by and said if Hook could only do what he knows, because the article had just come out and talked about Jay Hook, who's my dad. My dad played Major League Baseball from 1957 to 1964. He started with the Cincinnati Reds as a pitcher, and then he was bought when the Mets formed in 1962. He was with the Reds when they went to the World Series, and he also pitched the first Mets win. Kind of neat thing, growing up with a dad who played baseball. But Casey made this great point. My dad had just explained why a curveball curves. The guy won the article. The very next day, my dad got pulled out of the game early because he was giving up too many runs. And Casey walks by with all the reporters and says, if Hook could only do what he knows. You know, that's true for all of us, isn't it? It's one thing not to know something. It's another to know something but not learn from it and not change your behavior as a result of what you know. You know, interesting, there's a lot of spiritual truth in that statement. The book of James, which is in the New Testament, is really a book of wisdom. And there's a part of it in James chapter 3, verses 13 and then 17 and 18, where James, who's the brother of Jesus, says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show his wisdom and understanding by living his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then peace-loving, and then considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. I would like to talk with you about how we raise our spiritual IQ, because this list of things that we get from the book of James is really in the face of a lot of the stuff that we see online today. Let me read it again. Who's wise and understanding among you? Let that person show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving. Do you see the contrast with what's going on today? Wisdom is pure, peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. It's one thing not to know something. It's another to know something but not learn from it and to not change your behavior as a result of what you know. So James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, wrote to these Christ followers that were scattered around the world. And we've seen he's concerned not with what we know, but with how we live. James wants our faith to be brought into our lives. If we believe in God but spend the rest of the week living as though God doesn't exist, John Wesley, who started the whole Methodist movement, which is now millions of people around the world, John Wesley called that practical atheism. It's just general spirituality that doesn't make a difference in your life. But James is saying he wants our faith brought to life. He wants positive change because of what we know. 
And the only way to show that we have spiritual wisdom is by how we live. Don Shula, who's the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, said that learning is defined as a change in behavior. You haven't learned a thing until you take action and use it. That's just like faith. Faith isn't faith until you put it into action. Up until then, it's just belief. For example, I'm sitting in a chair as I'm recording this. I can believe that the chair will hold me, but if I never sit in it, that belief doesn't become faith because faith is belief put into action. So James says it this way in verse 313, who's wise and understanding among you, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So I want to ask you today, how's your spiritual IQ? Do you understand yourself to be spiritually wise? That's the question that James is asking. But we go around acting spiritual. We go around acting wise. But James interrupts our daydreaming with the final answer. Spiritual wisdom shows up in a changed life. Godly wisdom is not demonstrated by talk or by posts, but by actions. You know, there is a false wisdom. But the way that we know God's wisdom is God's wisdom always changes the way that we live, the way that we behave, the way that we treat people. That means if you and I have not changed, we can't claim to have a high spiritual IQ. We can't claim to have God's form of wisdom. It is those positive changes in our behavior that, that James hands us in verses 17 and 18. James' spiritual IQ test isn't a written exam. It's like it's this on-the-job evaluation. And the kind of answers that God wants from our spiritual IQ is wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. That means results. Impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness, of, of right living. So in other words, God will fill us to capacity based on our willingness to obey, that we do what we know. The size of our obedience determines how much God's spirit and wisdom you're going to experience. When we're spiritually wise, when we're doing what we know, God will graft these things into our lives. Marty talks a lot about this as the shrink. The truth is we see changes in two categories. We see them in our relationships and we see them in our reactions. One of the first thing God wants to change in our lives falls under the category of our relationships to one another. And James describes the consequences of spiritual wisdom in us with words like peace-loving, considerate, and submissive. Let's break that down. To be peace-loving is to be someone who promotes harmony. The word in the New Testament comes from a Greek word that means the termination of strife, the absence of quarreling. It's hard to get online at all and write anything without some form of quarreling coming up. But according to this Greek word, peace-loving Christ followers go out of their way to create unity as much as they possibly can. You make it a habit to avoid arguing with people. In other words, people with a rising spiritual IQ attempt to preserve unity where it exists and to, prom to promote it where it doesn't exist. You know, sometimes in the world, we breed a strain of people who oppose everything and everyone. We've almost elevated that online, haven't we, to some kind of spiritual gift. You know, a lot of people begin their sentences in some kind of conversation with the word but. 
Nothing is good enough. No one is good enough. To this kind of person, answers are never complete enough. Efforts are never strenuous enough. Attention on them is never focused enough. Like they want to glory in their ability to divide and disrupt a group of people. Interesting, Chuck Swindoll describes these people. Some of you are causing tremendous problems because of your attitude. You are capable. You are intelligent. You are qualified, maybe even respected for your competence. But your attitude is taking a toll on those who are near you, those you live with, those you work with, those you touch in life. For some of you, your home is a battleground. Your church is a battleground. Your office is a battleground. It's a mix of negativism, sarcasm, pressure, cutting comments and blaming. You're laughing less and you're complaining more. You know, I always thought I was peace loving, but interesting, just this week, I realized that God showed me that I do this with my kids. I'm never quite satisfied. I remember with one of them just earlier this week, I complimented him and then followed it with, but you could do that better. So instead, I've tried to raise my spiritual IQ and tell him nothing but how glad I am God made me to be his dad and how proud I am of him. And he's in his 20s. Now, you may be thinking, okay, so I'm a little negative. Maybe I associate with people who are always looking to create a disturbance. So help me out. How do I raise my spiritual IQ? How do I move toward peace-loving territory? And the answer is in the next two words of verse 17. It says this, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, then considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. The word I want to look at right now is considerate. To be considerate means to be non-combative, to be reasonable in evaluating others. We know what it means to be considerate, not shooting off your mouth first thing, not insisting on your own way, looking for the best in even the worst of people. But the biggie is it describes people who are willing to forgive others, even when they have every right not to. How rare is that even in churches today to be considerate? And yet, you know what? Our spiritual, our emotional, even our physical health is hugely dependent upon that attitude toward those who hurt us and even sin against us. We spiritually grow up or we spiritually wither up depending on our ability to forgive others. How many of us are carrying around wounds because we have chosen not to forgive? Interesting. Our marriages will thrive or they'll die based on our ability to forgive. There's a Christian psychologist, not Marty Fletcher, but a guy named Archibald Hart, who explained it this way. Forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. And that's the mark of godly wisdom in our lives. You know, what's amazing is how many people who call themselves followers of Jesus simply refuse to live this way. When they feel wronged or they feel envious, they just wait to spew and to strike back against the person who wronged them. They move on only when they've hurt those people who have hurt them. And only after they inflict damage in return are they satisfied. And it happens all over the place now, including online. That is not the way of godly wisdom. If you're interested in raising your spiritual IQ, you got to remember God's wisdom oozes forgiveness. It chooses deliberately to not hold something against another person. It chooses not to respond in a way that the other person deserves, even online. But rather, what 
godly wisdom does is it gives to the people what Christ would give, and that's grace. Historically, Christians were called people of grace because that's the nature of the God we worship. You know, this isn't rocket science. Jesus says, be forgiving, be considerate. It's simply doing what we know, like Casey Stingle quoted. Being considerate marks godly wisdom and moves us up the spiritual IQ scale. So does a submissive spirit. That's the next one. And that's a danger word for a lot of people. The word submissive, though, it simply means being willing to yield, being open to reason, being able to be persuaded on things. It doesn't mean the, that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're gullible. The emphasis is on being willing to bend to others when we're not dealing with unalterable, you know, spiritual truths. A person raising their spiritual IQ, if you're interested in that, model God's wisdom. Don't be so entrenched in your own opinion that you refuse to listen to alternate points of view. Even if you go into the conversation thinking you're wrong, being submissive is simply the opposite of being stubborn and unyielding. And watch out of always living with your own opinion. Now, that's extra tricky to do because all the algorithms, which are now run by artificial intelligence, by how long you're on a certain site, how long you're on a certain ad, they're going to keep feeding you more of those things. How long you're on one article and the computer now judges, oh, they're a liberal, oh, they're a conservative, oh, they're a progressive, oh, they're a moderate. And you'll start to get more and more and more of the stuff that you already seem to like. You've got to make sure that you aren't just living with your own opinion or the opinion that is being fed to you on your computer. You know, you've probably encountered a lot of un unyielding people, but godly wisdom is not always being right nor inflexible. The wise person is the man or the woman who is open to suggestions and ready to listen. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you or someone you know, when did they back down from their position? When's the last time you willingly and you joyfully let something go in the name of unity? When did you yield to others, even though you may feel that you are right? And when did you submit to the other point of view and then not complain? Here's something we do what we know. Our relationships with people point to a rising spiritual IQ. One of the ways of measuring spiritual wellness is having people fill out an indicator of how are they relating to God? How are they relating to the people near them? How are they relating to people in general? How are they relating to themselves? It is about relationships. And our relationships with people can point to a rising spiritual IQ when we are starting to live that way. You know, that moves into the second area, and that's our reactions to other people. When James is speaking of being full of mercy and good fruit, mercy is James's way of saying that people of godly wisdom make every effort to reach out to the people around them. That's mercy. The emphasis on this word isn't simply that you pray with somebody, though, but that's important. Mercy means literally to reach out to someone with practical help. Listen, when you spot someone in need, you're to react with mercy. That's demonstrating a high spiritual IQ. Why don't we do what we know? Sometimes we overanalyze things. You know, too much analysis creates paralysis when it comes to mercy. 
one of the things that our family did was host a little girl from Guyana who led to nine other children from third world countries. And she had major surgery because her bladder was on the outside of the body. If my wife, Lee, and I had thought much about how we'd need to care for baby Sarah after that surgery, we might have missed the huge blessing of this little girl. She touched our lives. She touched our family's lives, our church life, our, the schools, and the neighbors with whom we're trying to share this mercy and this love of Christ. The fact is we're not that merciful. We're just trying to do what we know. But the deal is when you and I are obedient, God brings us mercy, and mercy doesn't keep score. I realize that as we move in our spiritual IQ, we move toward mercy, we run the risk of being used by people. And some people live by taking advantage of mercy that other people show them. But it's a risk that I think we must take if we want to increase our spiritual IQ. The trick about mercy is we give it to people in trouble, even when the trouble is their own fault. And that's a lot of people. You know, as you think about mercy and you think about the opportunity you would have to raise your spiritual IQ by demonstrating it, putting it into action, who would you say is on your list of those in need of mercy? Maybe it's your son who's failing college. Maybe it's a daughter who drinks too much or a wife who isn't the woman that you thought you married. Maybe it's a friend who violated a confidence and told somebody else something you thought you were sharing privately with them. Maybe it's being part of a church that hasn't met your expectation. It leaves us with this final area of behavioral changes that come when we raise our spiritual IQ. And that's this, being real, being real with other people. Let me go over this list again from the book of James. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So the words are pure, impartial, and sincere, and they stand together. If you want to be pure, it means sincere integrity. There's not false motives in connecting with God or with people. A pure person shows up because they sincerely desire to help. They show up in church because they sincerely desire to draw near to God, to worship him. To be impartial means that they're consistent in their connections and their relationships with people. Are you the same person no matter who you're talking with? That's what impartial means. So pure, impartial, and sincere. Sincere means to be living without hypocrisy. This person doesn't pretend. They don't play out a part in order to influence everybody. But these people who act out parts, they lay aside their true identity to, to do whatever it takes to make themselves look good. They don't do what they know. Interesting, these are simply what God grafts into our lives when we raise our spiritual IQ. And here's the good news. It does not take special knowledge. It does not take special rituals. doesn't take special prayers. It takes a special heart. That's the key. It takes a changed heart. God's heart. Because God didn't keep his wisdom aloof. He didn't keep his wisdom lofty, far away from us. God came to earth and as Christ followers, in our worldview, we believe that Jesus died on a cross to help others to pay the penalty for our sins. You know, when you and I put our faith in that, our hearts change. And the problems occur when we try to clean up God's act a little too much. In some ways, we do what the old teachers of the law back in Jesus' day that hated Jesus do. 
we make a religion out of it. But Jesus lived out what God said. He did what he knew. He got down and dirty. You know, that's what makes Christianity unique among religions. It's doing what you know. And God wants you to put your heart into it. Put your heart into him. Because the truth is God's not going to give us any more of his spirit than we are willing to obey what he's already entrusted us with. The person with a high spiritual IQ is filled with godly wisdom and they're doing what they know. And now you know too. And if it's the godly kind of wisdom, it will change your life today. It will change your behavior. It doesn't just exist in a vacuum. So my hope is that you and I, based on this discussion, would live some of those things out, that we would do what we know. And as Casey Stengel would say, now play ball. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.